Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Octana, and today we'll be talking about the different kinds of relationship contracts souls enter into, and what this means for your embodied life. Knowing things will unfold in unforeseeable ways due to the interaction of millions of people free-willing in each moment, creating a fertile environment for wonder, mystery, adventure, and growth, as well as our purpose for why we're entering into this embodiment process, we make extensive plans. This doesn't mean everything is predestined, karmically mandated, or full of contractual obligations. The process is much more like what NASA and other space agencies go through when preparing for a mission, like sending someone to the International Space Station, or the ESA sending Rosetta to land on a comet. Before the mission begins, the astronauts are trained for every contingency, possibility, improbability, and impossibility. Before anything gets started, the concepts of how it will work are studied to the nth degree, The equipment is built, checked, triple-checked, then tested and tested and tested and tested, all of which gives the mission the best chance it can possibly have to succeed, but guarantees nothing. In every mission, things happen which weren't planned, in ways which weren't planned. New variables are added and subtracted moment by moment, and in the end, it's a win if the trip is completed at all. Everything else beyond this is a bonus, a gift, and extraordinary. Also, even with all the planning and preparation which goes into a mission, there is still the occasional catastrophic failure. In comparison to an embodied life, a trip into space is rather simple. An embodied life has astronomically more moving parts, lasts longer, and has only one person with a small team of advisors guiding it from start to finish. So the pre-planning is even more extensive, if you can imagine. We set up contracts with thousands of people for a myriad of reasons. We map out not just one route to achieve our goals, but hundreds. So no matter which way we zig or even if we zag, we will succeed in one fashion or another. We make plans for meeting specific people and backup plans for not meeting them at all, set up scenarios to prompt us into actions and directions at specific times in our lives, set up contingency plans for when we ignore the scenarios or when we get precocious and enter into them early. We make plans within plans within plans. This is one reason I prompt my clients to provide me information prior to a reading. Prior to and during our session, I'll be trying to sift through their soul book, the living document which contains all of this information, plus everything which has happened since then. I'll be trying to wade through each choice, action, and inaction, all of which have spawned myriads of what-ifs, paths not taken, and alternatives along the way. I need signposts, which point me towards the path the client actually took, which connections are active, and what choices they're facing in order to pull out these specific threads from the tapestry. When it comes to relationships, 
one of the more important aspects of embodied life we want and need to prepare for. We do quite a bit of pre-planning, but this doesn't necessarily mean we're pre-contracting or pre-arranging for things to occur. As form follows function, we seek relationships which are going to support our goals for any given lifetime. Classical notions of relationships as being successful only if they last for long periods of time, or as more relevant if they are permanent, such as marriage or spiritual concepts of soulmates and twin flames, are only some of the forms relationships can take. They may or may not support our goals in an embodied life, or even be what we prefer, and therefore we prepare when setting things up. Intimate relationships between people are unique creations of two or more individuals interacting in a place and moment in time. No two are exactly alike. However, they can be grouped into categories based on the functions they're meant to serve for the souls involved. One such category is soulmates. Soulmates is neither a metaphysical category nor a description of the type of soul, but instead is a type of relationship contract. Unlike popular notions, not everyone has a soulmate. In fact, it's rather rare for a soul to enter into a soulmate contract as it has such direct and critical impact on the embodied life. When a soul agrees to a soulmate contract with another soul who is embodying, both souls agree to choose physical bodies which will be hardwired to accept lasting relationship with the other and no one else. All other relationships will fail, and in fact, it will be difficult for the people to even enter into relationships at all. In some cases, the attraction to anyone other than their soulmate simply does not manifest. Someone with such a contract will look unceasingly for the one soul they're contracted with and ignore all others. The difficulty with this arrangement comes if, as is most often the case. The two souls do not manage to connect, or one of the souls decides they don't wish to follow through once embodiment has begun. If one of the partners dies young, decides not to embody during the gestation of the fetus, if they're unable to face their life for one reason or another and commit suicide, if they fall into deep depression or addictions or simply are never geographically near their partner post-adolescence, then the connection is never made. The relationship never happens. This leaves the remaining partner in a difficult situation of constantly seeking and never finding the person they're meant to be with. They can live a life without any relationships, constantly enter into and then leave relationships which never move beyond the initial dating stage, or settle for a marriage where they feel nothing at all. No connection, but a sense of duty and an easing of the loneliness. The most common reason for entering into such a contract is because the souls are choosing a life where they do not wish to focus on the relating aspect of a human life, but wish to have partnership for a variety of reasons. Whether the life is so complex as to make finding a partner overly difficult and strenuous, or the souls wish to work together and minimize the likelihood they'll stray in other directions, they prepare ahead of time so this aspect of their embodied life should all come together for them and they can focus on their primary goal or goals. 
the risk of such a plan failing is mitigated by the rewards if it succeeds. When the plan fails and the two people are unable to connect, those who are left without their partner are able to end such contracts and rewire their body to allow for connection with partners of the soul's choosing. The first step is to determine if a soulmate contract exists. If so, finalizing and therefore ending its active status starts the body's natural healing and rewiring process. Another relationship category is mirrors, or lessons. One of the most common relationships is the type we prepare for because they're set to teach us lessons. This can be enjoyable, such as a partner who helps us explore what's possible within us, challenges where we're stuck or struggling, and supports us in being more than we thought possible. This can be painful when they are the dragon we must challenge to live the life we choose, or the dementor we must escape in order to discover who we truly are and can be. The old adage is true. There is only one way to develop strength, and this is through hard work and often hard times. As form follows function, not all relationships are meant to be long-term. Not all relationships are meant to teach patience, negotiating skills, or perseverance. Some are meant to end gracefully once a lesson has been learned. In some, the ending of the relationship is the lesson. People working through issues of self-esteem, codependence, self-reliance, or loss of voice, those who are attempting to heal family of origin issues by recreating them, who confuse healing with partnership and so on, will find their relationships need to end in order to be successful, contrary to the general expectation of Western society. Healthy partner relationships which are designed to last over time follow the pattern of any good relationship, where there are nine positive reactions to every one negative event, where each person is allowed to be an individual as well as part of the team, and where each individual is supported in their becoming much like two feet walking, where the movement forward alternates between the partners. Then there is the category of stair steps. Relationships are a potent transformational tool. We learn more faster about ourselves, about others, and about the world in relationships than in almost any other form of connection. It's sometimes easier and more effective if we learn things in smaller increments through a series of relationships rather than dragging one person through the process. I tend to think of this relationship method more as transformations or stages, somewhat like steps moving us upwards to the next phase of our becoming. So we may learn this one distinct thing about ourselves or about life through one relationship, then heal what was revealed to us through the next one, all of which moves us steadily towards our goal in life, whatever this is. Often this method of working with relationships is not meant to be used throughout our life, but through phases of it. We may therefore arrive after what seems a lifetime of partnering at an intimate partner who we settle with for life, or a life partner who returns to us over and over again, because they're there to help us acknowledge and incorporate the lessons we've learned with others. Now, there is a relationship category for genetic donors, since it is very common to have pre-planned relationships with souls in order to help other souls embody, in other words, to have children. 
These relationships come in all varieties, from sperm egg donors to committed married couples who raise not only their own, but others' children as well, and everything in between. Some souls agree to bring children into the world, to create the necessary body for a soul to connect with, but the raising of the child will happen through other parents via adoption, either within the biological family or not. The children want the lineage of the parents, but seek opportunities and advantages of parenting and socioeconomics provided by others. Some intimate relationships are specifically about bringing children into the world, and the parents focus on child-rearing through the early adult years. This can then lead to empty nester questions of identity or midlife crisis, not only for the individuals, but also questions concerning the meaning and reason for the continuation of the marriage, and is not so much a problem as an opportunity for further growth. This is usually noted and planned for prior to embodiment. Other relationships are specifically to bring in children which have contracted with the couple ahead of time. The parents, through their own life lessons and becoming, set up lesson dynamics for the children to work through, but once this is done, the relationship quickly begins to fail. This is usually combined with lessons for the parents as well, which guide them towards ending the relationship and moving forward with others and with their individual paths. There are also relationships which are not scheduled to bring children into embodiment, but the physical bodies start the process, or the souls choose to go forward with children once the relationship is created. When this occurs, a contract for the new soul to embody is created and negotiated on the fly. Luckily, the only place where time is linear is here. So a complicated process such as this can be completed within the time frame necessary for the soul to embody in the infant without negative effect. Parents may notice this process by having heightened dreams about their infant, which is their conscious mind processing all the Akashic back and forth between their soul and the one who is soon to be embodied. Then there are those who fall into the category where relationships are nice to have. It is not uncommon with souls who are embodying, not for their own learning or becoming, but instead to be in service, to prepare for relationships in a much less structured way. Instead of setting contracts in place or forming a structure which makes a relationship one of the components of their journey, they build space within the life so they can be available to a fortuitous relationship if one presents itself, but can also be completely fine without one. I tend to look at these embodiment plans somewhat like music. Most people are symphonic in the way their embodied lives are planned, with defined themes both major and minor, all interweaving amongst each other. Various instruments or sections carry the predominant theme while others play accompaniment. For service lives which do not pre-plan or mandate a relationship, but are open to one, the soul book reads more like jazz, where things are improvisational, inspired in the moment, riffing off the audience, the mood, the other players, and simply the joy of being. These improv relationships can be long-term or transitory, but are almost always passionate and leave blessings in their wake not only for the participants, but everyone who experiences them. So while we pre-plan a large number of relationships in our lives, most of these never come to fruition because the necessary connections and events do not happen. 
Like a NASA mission, we pre-plan for every eventuality we can think of, and then hope the majority of them never occur. So for each individual, there will be thousands of contracts which are never activated, thousands of pre-planned connections we never make. This is why, if something is truly important, if one person is so relevant we absolutely cannot miss meeting them, then we stack the deck. When I look at some soul books, I'll see what looks like Hoover Dam built from a multiverse of ways in which we would meet with this other soul at just the right moment. Every conceivable possibility, probability, and near impossibility is pre-planned and accounted for, so no matter how we zig or zag, we'll get there. Even with this, though, there's no guarantee we will have thought of everything, or that the other person will comply with all this planning. As noted with soulmate contracts, it takes two to tango. Most relationships are ones we pre-planned for, but we have no idea during the planning stage who specifically the relationship will be with. Like online dating, when pre-planning an embodied life, we often make a profile of who would fit our needs and then set up a number of pre-planned contracts which could possibly fit that profile. Then, when we activate our desire to enter into relationship, when we are ready to date, as it were, those contracts start functioning to pull us and or them to a place in time where we are able to make choices to go further or not. At the same time, people who fit the profile are able to connect with us geographically and are willing to be activated as well, creating potential contracts on the fly. A great many relationships more than most people think, are not pre-planned at all because they are of this advantageous nature. Their choices made once we're here due to circumstances, needs, and free will choices made in the moment. They aren't karmic or mandates nor forced on us by higher powers, but are our own selections for all the complexly simple reasons that people connect. We learn just as much from these as anything we've pre-planned and often more, to be honest. So when you're looking at or for a relationship and asking why, the answer might be clearer and make more sense if you first look back and see what you originally planned. And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be going through the practical steps for manifesting using the Akashics. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.